Back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 15. The 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Zane. Al is out this week, but man, have we got a, a great special guest host for you. Brian Rennick, who's actually our uh, our editor on 49ers Web Zone for our content out there. The the superhero behind the scenes, if you will, um, and, and a great follow on Twitter as well, is uh, kind enough to join me today to, to co-host. And thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining on today. Oh, man, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do it. It's a uh... This is uh, quite the platform, and so uh, I know I've got big shoes to fill uh, because Al's not here, and and hopefully I can uh, at least fill them a little bit and uh, and get some uh, get some content into into the earballs of of all the listeners. Uh, yeah, I think you're giving Al too much credit. It's not it's not that hard, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, you you joined it at a good time, man. It's a victory podcast. We always love those. Those are always fun to to have and uh, although we complain less on victory podcast but it but it does make for a, a more fun show for us because we get to talk about good things so let's just get into it man i mean the niners needed this win against cincinnati before the seattle game i said that they would have to split at least come out of this with a split to have a legitimate shot at the playoffs and that's exactly what they did i thought that they would probably get the front end of it which they almost did in seattle but again like you know we talked to nauseam about the the second half and then the fourth quarter specifically and the, the troubles that the Niners had on offense there. But it seemed like they were kind of going down that same road against Cincinnati, especially in the fourth quarter there. They, they didn't score any points um, and the offense kind of stalled out. And all of a sudden they put together this fantastic drive at the end of the game where Jimmy Garoppolo drives him down the field and Kyle is calling plays like he's in a rhythm again and, and they look, everything looks right. And they get down in the field goal range as time expires, and Robbie Gold, who's paid to make those kicks, misses misses the kick, and then they go to overtime. Paid, paid handsomely to make those kicks. Let's be That's, let's be honest. Exactly, he is paid handsomely. Our, our the, the franchised kicker is is uh, paid to to make those kicks, and he's missed. I mean, I mean, he missed the one against Minnesota that would have iced the game. Missed the extra point in Seattle that would have made it basically a, a one point lead uh, even after the safety in Seattle and then miss this one at the end of the game. So I think that for me with Robbie gold, like I just prefer as much stuff that he did to, to hold out and the contract and all this stuff. Like I get it. He wanted to be close to his family and stuff, but like, he, he just can't miss those kicks. So um, yeah, the hold, I think the holdout is the one that really gets me right. Like you, you, you don't, you don't typically see kickers holding out and then to have the front office kind of cave and, and give him, you know, give him that, uh, that contract to then, you know, miss a 47 yarder like that should be that should be a gimme for a guy who again is 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 being paid handsomely so um you know jason aponte on twitter is uh is is very upset with uh with kickers at times and um here we go again but uh but they pulled out the win which is the most important part and uh gave jimmy garoppolo an opportunity to lead two game-winning drives uh the first one at the end of regulation and the second one over time it's interesting because people have been kind of waiting for this for a long time, actually, right? This, this version of Jimmy Garoppolo that can go down and lead the team down the field without having things like have to rely on other things going right around him. And the, the, the kind of guy that takes command and is able to just drive them now, will them to victory. And he was able to do that against green Bay, even though they didn't get the win. He did that twice in this game and he almost did it against Seattle as well. Again, they, they stalled as we know on fourth and goal there. So I feel like, you know, in a way, 
and this is again, this is all moot point. I should preface this by saying Trey Lance is the future. We know why he's here. We know that Trey is going to be the quarterback going forward. But for the time being, I think that for a playoff run, that that should bode well for a team that's kind of going to be in the thick of it. Is that you have to be able to to perform on those high pressure, high stakes situations going into the playoffs. And I think that for the most part, he did right. We always talk about the quarterback position and what he does do and what he doesn't do. And we know he's limited. We know he's not a star quarterback. We know that he's very much so a product of his system. But we saw something that we hadn't seen from him before, like consistently, right? the, the ability to drive team down there and score uh, at the end of a game. So that's something that's encouraging to see. Again, it in a long run, it doesn't really matter because he's not going to be here. But for the short term, for this season at least, I think it's I think it's been a pretty positive development. Oh, absolutely. You know, it it, it was reminiscent of you know of the New Orleans game, which people bring up all the time, and mm-hmm. and those that uh, those that are a little frustrated with um, you know with Jimmy Garoppolo when people bring that up, they're like, hey, that was two years ago. But you know, honestly, this is what you wait to see, right? You're getting paid uh, franchise quarterback money. You want your your quarterback to perform like a franchise quarterback, and you know, he went six for six on that uh, on that drive in overtime, and and I think part of it for for Garoppolo is that for the first time in you know uh, ever really, you know, we've got Kittle on the field, we've got Debo on the field, and we've got Ayuk on the field all at the same time, and I think it's those three players that really make that obviously make that passing offense go. And you know, there were there were definitely errors. There was a pick six, uh, a potential pick six, uh, which could have iced the game for for Cincinnati. Um, so there's still those, those mistakes, but ultimately, you know, as I, said at the, or in the post-game press conference, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is, uh, when it comes down to crunch time, he's unflappable. And I think that is a, that is a, a, a characteristic that I don't think enough people talk about. He's got that confidence and, and whether he has the, the, the physical tools to back up that confidence is, can be questionable. But again, for the most part, he is, uh, he is a leader when when they need it the most now can we you know can we make you know can can kyle script uh, a game plan just out of the two minute drill because it seems like that's when jimmy is has been most uh most successful um let's see but but yeah it was uh it was a a must win game and he showed up when they need him the most and that's that's really all you can hope for it's interesting to me that essentially you're looking at three guys who have been criticized by the fans and the media uh equally i guess uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brandon Ayuk, and Kyle Shanahan, who schemed it up. Those were the guys that essentially, you know, kind of brought them down and won the game at the end there. And I think that was a great play call, um, you know, to Ayuk and, and a fantastic effort. And it re- really feels like he's hitting a strike. Like Alan and I would talk about this earlier in the season, and we talked about what was wrong with Ayuk and what was the issue and kind of what happened there. And I think that maybe he just needed some tough love. And Kyle's, he is tough on his receivers specifically because he, he played that position. He knows that position. So, I feel like Ayuk has kind of gotten beyond that. He's kind of taken that next step. And in a game where they didn't really have a running back, right? Like Debo was, was pretty much the best runner in the game. And Jeff Wilson had had some nice moments, but they didn't have a bell cow sort of back or any sort of like specific running game that they could lean on in this game. And Debo was pretty much a, a decoy in the, in the passing game. He, he didn't really get the ball thrown his way. Didn't have, I, I don't believe he even had a catch. So really we're looking at, a win that they needed that they just gutted out. And I don't know what's going to happen going forward with the lack of running backs. I don't know what they're going to do. And uh, I don't know how Kyle's going to get beyond that, but they had to have this game against Cincinnati and they got it. And I think that's, that's so impressive on Kyle's part. It was a really, really 
gutty, gritty win. And it was something that, again, like, you, you really don't know what the, you're going to get from week to week with this team, right? Like, you saw the egg that they laid in Seattle against a far inferior opponent. Like, Seattle's not a good team this year. They should have, the Niners should have throttled them for what they had. But they come out the next week and, and you see this win against Cincinnati, this gutty win. And uh, they were basically a Nick Bosa sack away from also dropping this one too, right? You could talk about the the potential pick sick, but but the Bosa sack on third down and overtime that forced a field goal was just as huge. And he's he's one guy that consistently we talk about the team's inconsistency this season. Bosa is one guy every single game, game in and game out, has consistently shown up. Thirteen sacks, leads the league in tackles for loss. I mean, he has to be he has to become a player of the year. I mean, Dak will probably get it, but I mean, Bosa has to be come back player of the year on, at least on defense if they have one. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and and ultimately, like you said, uh, Dak being a quarterback probably gives him a leg up. But uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan talks about players that affect the quarterback, right? Being as important as the quarterback themselves, and there really aren't very many players in the NFL that affect the quarterback uh, at a higher rate than than Nick Bosa does right now. And it, to me, it's just it's not only that that he is he's come back from the ACL. It feels like he's come back better from his ACL injury. Uh, and he, he talked about uh, uh, this week, he talked about uh, why that is. And, and he talked about changing his diet. He talked about uh, really kind of uh, approaching the, the mental aspect of the game in the offseason and spending more time in film study and things like that. And, and he's talked earlier this year about how in his rookie year, you know, he was just trying to, to beat his, his opponent every, every rep. And now he's starting to set them up, right? He's, he's, he's using their own. Uh, their own moves uh, against them, and so he he not only is has come back from his ACL, has come back better. And I mean, can you say that Dak has come back better? I I would argue no. So to me, and and you know, obviously I'm a homer, I'm a 49er fan, so I want I want Nick Bosa to win Comeback Player of the Year. But I to me, it, it, honestly, he he has earned it thus far. And and there's still four games left, and and it'll be interesting to see. If he can break that 49er record of 19 and a half sacks, I, I think he has an opportunity. Um, but it's 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 so impressive. And and honestly, you know, with with the health of the secondary and really just the way that they approached uh, team building in this offseason where they sunk basically all of the uh, capital into that defensive line and signed Verrett to a, a friendly deal, you know, not very much money. Uh, Mosley, not very much money. money Kwan. Right, they didn't put very many resources in the secondary, and and honestly, I think they're going to have to change that approach moving forward. But right now, it they have the I believe it's the sixth ranked pass defense in the NFL, and I to me that's almost exclusively because of Nick Bosa and what that uh, that defensive line has done. Yeah, and it, it's kind of crazy because Bosa hasn't really had any help opposite him. Right, D Ford, as we know, is is basically done for the rest of the season. But even before that, like he didn't he didn't play very much and. Samson Abukam, he's had he's had a decent impact, but he hasn't anything that he's he hasn't done anything that's like crazy off the charts that would say command a double double teams consistently or get into the backfield consistently. He's flashed. Uh, Eric Armstead's been steady and solid, but again, like from the pass rush standpoint, like there's been, I believe Arden Key has the most sacks uh, after Bosa, and, and he has like I believe it was three sacks. So I think that all the work that he did in the offseason to be able to come back from an ACL, like you said, better is is just a, a huge testament to him. because we had questions about it right like you know the the Niners offseason carousel how it turns and all that, how there's all these 
rumors and thoughts and stuff that people have, people are talking about trading this guy, right? Like, oh, they should trade him for a, a top 10 pick or a quarterback or something like that. Like, would they would they trade him in a Deshaun Watson trade, for example, right? That's, that's what people kind of bring it up. And it's just like, you look back at that, just so silly. Because look at him now. And, and you know, at the time I dismissed it because I was like, this guy is, he's a franchise player. He's a difference maker. And I truly believe that, you know, like we were talking about 2019, the beginning of the show, but I truly believe that when Nick Bosa got here in 2019, he was that difference maker on the defense, right? It was pretty much the same defense as the year before, minus uh, uh, minus a couple other players, but Nick Bosa was the biggest addition. And I thought that- And, and D Ford. And D Ford as well. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say D Ford as well. Yeah. Those two really kind of made them into like a, a top three unit that year. And it and it showed, and that's the unit that carried them to the to the Super Bowl. So you can't you don't find guys like that everywhere. And they were very lucky that Cliff Kingsbury became the coach of Arizona and wanted Kyler Murray number one. Or you could you could say that well maybe they're unlucky because then they would have had Kyler Murray a quarterback right instead of instead of Jimmy Garoppolo and some people would rather have that. So I think that overall, like you know, it's been so impressive to see how he's developed and matured and to see how he's come back. And he's been the same steady sort of contributor. He's a superstar. So, you know, he's one of those guys that, that you can lean on. And this game was won by the stars. And another one of the stars that we haven't talked about, obviously the, the brightest shining star of this game and this week, George Kittle. Offensive player of the week and just a fantastic game. Dominant as usual. He's back. I feel like they've gotten back involved in the, the passing game again. He's had more red zone touchdowns this year than he's ever had in his career. So I think that. He's become the focal point and the offense is running through him again. And that's really, I think, why you see Jimmy's numbers a little bit better as well. Like for the past six games or so, minus the Seattle game, he didn't play, he'd been playing pretty well. And I think that's why you, you add Kittle to the mix with Debo as, as dominant as he's been. And I think that that's a, that's a pretty solid one-two punch that they have there. Yeah, it's interesting to me. You know, one of the things that, that really didn't make much sense uh, at the beginning of the year when... Kyle Shanahan was coming under fire from from fans and and analysts about kind of the the staleness of the offense and 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 one of the big gripes was where is George Kittle like why is George Kittle not involved in the passing game and it really felt like for some reason it took that Debo injury it took that that situation where Debo wasn't on the field for that Seattle game for Kyle to go oh that's right I still have George Kittle and now to the tune of. 180 yards against Seattle and 150 yards against the Bengals. And it's like, oh, that's right. This guy's really good mm -hmm. in, in, in the receiving game, right? He's not just this uh, incredible blocker in the run game, which he is. And that's, again, what makes him, in, in my mind, and, and I think most people's minds, the m most impressive all-around tight end in the NFL. In fact, uh, was it Travis Kelsey tweeted out uh, on Sunday, basically, he said, George Kittle, he's one of one. And uh, that was that was high praise from a guy who is is the other guy that kind of people consider. I guess Darren Waller could be the other one. But yeah, it's it's interesting that that it took kind of a break glass in case of emergency situation for Kyle Shanahan to get George Kittle involved. But now that he is, I, I just don't see how they can go back to uh, not featuring him. And even Zach Taylor was like, look, we tried to do everything we could to cover this guy and we just couldn't do it. Right. Like we threw everything at him. And he's just too good. And, and part of it is, is Kyle's scheme. You know, he's going to scheme guys open. And, and, and George Kittle is, is a tremendous route runner. And, and you know, his, I, I mean, that catch that he made, you know, sometimes I think one of the, one of the critiques of his game is, is his hands. And sometimes he can drop some pretty easy passes. 
But that catch was unbelievable. Uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Just to high point that ball uh, and 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 come down with it was was absolutely uh, you know it, it reminded me of of the catch against Seattle last year uh, when they almost won that game. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's it's I, this this passing game is so much more dynamic when Kittle is involved, when Ayuk is involved, when Debo is, you know, it can be involved from the backfield or uh, out in routes. And, and, and I think, I think part of, of Debo's uh, game on Sunday was a, a bit of a pitch count. I think they, mm-hmm. they wanted him, you know, they wanted him in the run game because, you know, I don't think they really trust hasty outside of uh third down. Uh, they don't really trust him to run the ball. Wilson is still kind of gimpy on that knee. And so, and then Debo was gimpy on that groin. And so it was like, they didn't really have their, their stable of running backs. And so um, I think they preferred to have him in the backfield and it'll be interesting to see uh, next week, hopefully uh, if he can get through the concussion protocol, I, I'm really excited to see this offense with Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, and Mitchell on the field at the same time. Yeah. I think and that's just, it's kind of funny because the, first of all, Kittle is on pace for his, his uh, latest thousand yard season, by the way, he's got, um, 57 for 757 and six touchdowns. So he's been, he's been phenomenal this year. And it's funny. I think that things like a thousand yard season by receiver are going to be kind of devalued now at the 17th game because it's like, it's, it's never, it's never going to be easier to get there. So I think, I don't know what the benchmark is going to be, but right now it's a thousand yards and thousand yards for a tight end is, is super impressive. Any way you cut it because despite the fact that the league has become a predominantly passing oriented league, the numbers for tight ends aren't crazy, right? It's still it's still receivers and running backs that are getting the touches and getting the yardage and things like that. And again, like you said, Kelsey was bang on. Kittle is one of one. He does everything well. So um, one of my favorite 49ers. And, he, and he's he's a leader as well. That's the other thing too, is that he's a leader amongst amongst his team. So I think that he's the consummate team pro. And, and uh, you know, the fact when they, when they had re-signed him, I had a huge sigh of relief because that was the guy that I, that was the guy that they had to lock up long-term. But um, but but I digress on that. You, you mentioned Debo, and I feel like Debo is playing the role that they wanted Jalen Hurd to play. Like I really feel like that's what they wanted Jalen Hurd to be is that hybrid running back slash receiver sort of position. And Kyle did say that they wanted they wanted him to eventually play tight end as well, um, just because because of the size. But you know, Debo's is ever since he's been dra- he was drafted, he was my favorite 49ers receiver, right? Because he reminds me of Anquan Bolden in a lot of ways. And Anquan Bolden, when he was here, was my favorite 49ers receiver as well, right? He's he's more athletic and and faster than Bolden is and, and a little bit size-wise, a little bit smaller. But the mentality of just running through people, running over people, the physicality, like he plays like a guy who's six foot four, 250, not a guy who's like, you know, 5'11 and, you know, just over 200 pounds. So really like I can't say enough about Debo and, and the, the strides that he's making this year, right? Like it's just, it's just fun to watch to me, Kittle and Debo. And again, you said you're biased. I am too. <laughs> I would say Kittle and Debo are probably the two most, most entertaining players in the league to watch right now for me because of what they can do with the ball in their hands and what their all around game is. Like there's not a single receiver in the league that does what Debo does in terms of like, being able to be a thousand yard receiver. Like there, there are guys that have done it before, like Tavon Austin, Quirrell Pat- Patterson and Percy Harvin. But I feel like Debo is what everybody hoped all of those guys would be, right? Like he doesn't return kicks like Patterson does. Right. But you know, Patterson isn't a receiver. Debo is. Right. So there's, there's a trade-off there. And I think that, 
you know, when, once, like you said, once Mitchell gets back, there's an element of what that one cut running style that he has, the four three speed that he has, essentially like a Mostert clone. But I feel like Mitchell is much better catching the ball out of the backfield. It's going to be a lot of fun, and let's see if they can kind of stem the tide against Atlanta and see if they can kind of hold them off. But they again, they don't have any corners. Ambry Thomas is in concussion protocol. Played pretty well for his part, you know, first start as a rookie. And uh, Josh Norman walking penalty. So we'll see what happens at the corner position. In but I think that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're a wounded team. So I think they're going to have to gut this one out as well against a team that they probably should beat here in the Bay Area. But we'll see, man. I mean, I think that all signs are kind of pointing up. They've got over 60% chance of making the playoffs, which is great because, you know, six weeks ago, we're like, this is not a playoff team, right? We're like, you know, they're, they're going to a bottom five team at that point. So, this turnaround has been huge and it's been, it's been really fun to watch. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. The Falcons like the 49ers are way better on the road than they are at home. I believe the Falcons are five and two on the road. Uh, the 49ers as, as we know are, are not good at home. And so this feels, this feels like a trap game. It feels similar to that game against Atlanta in 2019. Uh, when they come off that, uh, that three game road trip where it was, Washington, then Baltimore, then New Orleans, and then they came home for that Atlanta game. And, you know, they they stunk up the joint. And 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 I mean that game was winnable. And they were, I believe what I think they were like uh a potential fumble away from from winning that game, but uh or fumble recovery, excuse me. But the Atlanta defense is not good. And as it stands right now, the the strength of the 49ers is that offense. You know, the the defense, I mean, I I I don't know what kind of magic beans D'Amico Ryans has to have uh, the the defense performing at the level that it is. Like I said, I believe they're the sixth sixth ranked sixth ranked pass offense in or pass defense in the NFL right now, uh, and, and their secondary is held together with you know toothpick and 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 masking tape. So I don't I don't I don't think this is a situation where you know, we can expect the defense to come out and shut down Arthur Smith and that, that Atlanta offense, which isn't super dynamic. You know, they've got Matt Ryan, they've got Cordero Patterson that's running the ball right now. Uh, Mike Davis is a fullback and a running back or a, a running back in a fullback's body, uh, but hasn't really been that effective this year. And they've got Kyle Pitts and that's about it, right? Calvin Ridley's still out with, uh, you know, his mental health break and, and, you know, we wish him the best, but like you said, they should be able to beat this, just like they should have been able to beat Seattle. And so it's weird to be nervous about a game in which they should handily beat this team, but they're playing at home. They're, uh, I believe it's a nine-point favorite right now, which is a spread that they've, uh, I, I, I can't tell you the last time they covered a spread that high. And those games like they had in Cincinnati can be emotional. And there can be a letdown, right? And again, we have no idea who the cornerbacks are going to be. They're hoping Dante Johnson is back later this week. And I, and I would assume he will be. And more than likely, he'll get the start. Uh, and hopefully, Ambry can, can come out of the concussion protocol. Uh, like you said, he kind of uh, availed himself. Well, you know, he had those two odd uh, hands to the face penalties where I'm like, like, what are you doing with your hands that high in the first place? I don't understand. but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has come on as of late and, and Diamador really started well in camp and, and at the beginning of the year and seems to kind of have taken a step back. But I also know that they're kind of eyeing him for the K1 role 
if they don't resign K1 in the offseason. So I don't even really think they want him on the outside anyway. And so, you know, the, the Falcons have AJ Terrell on the defensive side and he's had quite a season. And so I would assume that, that, uh, Kyle's going to attack everywhere, but against him. And I, I just, I don't, I don't see this being a blowout. I don't see them winning, uh, by nine or more. Uh, but I do think that this is a winnable game. And, and if the offense can, can produce the thing that I don't understand is the last two weeks where they've put it on in the first half and then come out in the second half and scored three and zero points. I'm like, what? That's the thing that, that's the thing that gives me a little bit of pause and hopefully they can do a little bit of self-scouting and get that figured out. But yeah, it's, it's a winnable game and it's a game they should win. And, and ultimately it's probably a game they need to win because then they're going to Tennessee on a short week and, and Tennessee will be out, will still be without Derrick Henry, uh, mm-hmm. but Tennessee's defense is good and, and they're still putting up points on offense. So yeah, this is a game they need because at seven and six, there are, are, I believe three teams right now that are at six and seven, including the Atlanta Falcons. And so their, their, their position is not safe. They're in the sixth seed right now. Um, their position isn't safe. Uh, basically they need to treat every game like a must win. And, and I would say that in the next four games home for Atlanta at Tennessee home for Houston, and then at LA, they need to win three of those uh, probably to ensure that they get their spot in the, in the playoff. I've always been saying that. So uh, it's interesting. You remember the, that, that you recall or that you're kind of like talking about this Atlanta game as like a, a letdown, potentially letdown game. And, I remember the Atlanta game in 2019 coming off of that, that New Orleans game that you mentioned earlier that was a huge win in New Orleans and such an emotional win. And they came out and they laid an egg against Atlanta. And they lost a, a really silly game at the, at the end there. And I was there that, that, that day, and, and they just didn't look right. They didn't look good uh, to start the game. They were trailing most of the game. They were able to come back and get a nine-point lead and eventually gave up a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, and, and in, a, in a really silly way, giving up the touchdown to Julio Jones. Um, I still, I still talk about the play. Like, I, I remember that night. I, I messaged Eric Crocker and I was like, "Hey, man, like, what is going on here? How could you let Julio get a free release off the line out of the slot there? Just reroute him for a second so that your pass rush can get there." And, you know, that he 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 broke it down really nicely and kind of talked about it. But like, it's just one of those things where you're in the same situation again, right? Where it's Atlanta coming here in December and towards the end of the season, right after an emotional win on the road, and you are the better team and you should win this, but it's going to be a dogfight because, again, like you said, Atlanta's fighting for playoff position. And when it comes down to it, I, th- I think that the Niners should win this. I think that they, they are the better team, provided that they, don't, that they don't make any mistakes. And I believe they're undefeated this year when Jimmy does not throw an interception. I believe that's, that's the case this year. I believe that is. Yeah, I believe that's. Yeah, so I, it really comes down you know, to him, right? He, taking care of the ball. And he has those throws, one or two throws every game. You're like, what are you doing, Jimmy? He'll have those throws. Like, what did you see? What are you doing? But also, like, as, a, as an aside, as a tangent here, I want to ask you, because you know, we got you on the show this, this week. I talked about this with Al, and we kind of like really didn't come to any sort of like consensus on this or conclusion. But the Niners quarterbacks in general, if you remove like Trey's one start or one and a half games from the equation, over the, the five or four plus years that Kyle's been here, they they really don't make off schedule plays. Like Jimmy did it in his first five starts, and in the first game against Minnesota, he had that nice touchdown to Pettis in the corner. But if the play breaks down, 
it's just kind of like it's just over right like there's just there's there's nothing like you know it's like all right cool like you know we're just gonna either force it into coverage or take a sack or throw it into the ground somewhere right like it's just there's no playmaking by the quarterbacks so am i crazy in saying that like they're just they're just not very good at making off schedule plays like can you remember any like off off the bat that they've actually made that weren't actually schemed up not really and i think that is a feature and not a bug. You know, I think that is what Kyle Shanahan wants out of his quarterbacks, which is why to a certain extent it was a little out of character for for them to go up and get Trey Lance because you know, you you look at what what Kyle has has said in the past about his quarterbacks, you just look at his quarterbacks in the past and the quarterbacks that he's had the most success with and outside of rookie year Robert Griffin III who was foisted upon him that wasn't a quarterback that either him or his dad wanted. Um, they want your, their quarterback to stand in the pocket and deliver the ball to the open spot because we know that we are going to scheme guys open. As long as your brain catches up, then you're going to find that guy and you're going to fire the ball in there. And so ultimately, I think part of that is, is, is just drilling into them. Look, you're not going to leave the pocket. And ultimately, I think they're probably still going to do that with Trey Lance. I think they're going to emphasize, look, you need to stay in the pocket. And we're going to design some runs for you. And I think that's what he's excited about with, with Lance's uh, athleticism is more what he offers to open up the run game as opposed to what he offers for off-schedule plays. Mm-hmm. But I also think that, that, that he's, Shanahan is starting to learn, like, okay, maybe we do need somebody. Because he's even said, like, I want somebody that will be able to bail me out if I call the wrong play. Mm-hmm. And typically, what does that look like? That either looks like, hey, I'm going to audible to a different play because I recognize this play isn't going to work. And maybe that's more what he's talking about. Um, or that's look, this play broke down. It wasn't good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get out of the pocket and I'm going to at least get a, a few yards. And maybe that's what it is. Again, not get out of the pocket and scramble around and then heave it downfield to the guy that's open. It's, Hey, I got out of the pocket. Now I'm going to get at least a handful of yards and live to see another day. And so I, I, I've, I've wondered if if Jimmy's lack of off-schedule plays had to do at least initially in 2019 and even last year was still being a little iffy on his knee. But I mean, we're talking about uh, an injury that occurred three years ago now. So I don't I don't really think that's the case. I just think that that's not a part of the 49ers offense. You know, Kyle doesn't want somebody, you know, Kyle, Kyle is the smartest man in the room. And, and so he wants his quarterback to just be an extension of him being the smartest man in the room. And, and, and ultimately, I also think that might be what attracted him to Trey Lance was, you know, everything we heard about Trey Lance was that he was a football savant, that, that he saw the game, uh, in a way that a lot of quarterbacks don't. And I think that really appealed to, to, to Kyle. And so, yeah, I agree with you. They don't, they don't make off schedule plays. The play breaks down. It's either a sack, a throwaway, or, um, Really, that's about it. You know, they're not, they're not, again, they're not, uh, they're not scrambling to, to, to get guys open. Uh, and I think ultimately, because like we said, you know, Kyle Shanahan is a scheme lord. Like he is going to scheme guys open. There will be an open guy in the pattern somewhere. And it's just a matter of if the quarterback's brain can catch up to it. And I think that's part of what frustrates Kyle about Jimmy is that Jimmy doesn't see the whole field. You know, he, he tends to be a one or two read guy and then he goes, right? And so, you know, you, you fire up the all 22 and you can see like, Hey, he threw this ball to Kittle in double coverage and Debo's coming on the over route and he's wide open. If he would have just thrown it to him, that's probably a touchdown. Right. 
And I think those are the things that really frustrate Kyle more than even more than the interceptions. Those obviously are frustrating. Um, but I think it's not seeing the the open guy in, in the pattern. So yeah, I, I I don't I don't remember very many uh, 49er quarterbacks uh, under Kyle Shanahan having off schedule plays. And I think Jimmy did in 2000, uh, in, in 2000, what was that? 18, 17, 2017. Yeah. We didn't know the playbook <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's why. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ultimately I think that is, that is the issue. Yeah. I think that and, and for context, like, you know, off schedule plays, like we're talking about like, you know, six to eight plays per game. Right? We're not talking about like, you know, 20 plus plays that are off schedule. It's like those six to eight plays that you can get like, you know, a big play or, you know, make a big mistake. And out of those six to eight plays, like teams typically hit like maybe half of them, right? Like they're not, they're not every down sort of things, right? Every, every, every down occurrences that happen. But I think that I hope that, you know, Trey will be able to do more of that and that he'll be able to go a little bit off schedule and make those plays because it matters. It's an off schedule league, right? Like the guys that make those plays are typically the most successful quarterbacks, right? Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Brady is a different story because he's just unbelievable, right? That guy's that guy's just like a football god. But you know, like uh, Aaron Rodgers, those those types of quarterbacks that can make those plays uh, off schedule. Lamar Jackson as well, right? Like those guys that can run around and and get the ball to the playmakers. Uh, those are typically the guys that that go the furthest. So, I I agree with you in saying that it's it's a feature, not a bug. I think that it's one of those things that I hope changes because the quarterback that you are going to have has a has a vastly different uh, physical skill set than you've you've ever had before with any quarterback here. So. I would argue to say that Trey Lance is is the best or the most athletic quarterback uh, since Colin Kaepernick, right? And I think I don't think that's a stretch to say at all. No, not at all. Because they've been just pocket pocket quarterbacks since then, right? With uh, Gabbert and Hoyer and CJ and and now Jimmy, right? Um, and Mullins sprinkled in between, right? They've been. All I was going to say let's let's not forget Nick. Let's yeah. not forget Nick Mullins, B- BDN, Uber right? athlete, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uber athlete, Nick Mullins, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think circling back to the, this Atlanta game and kind of like what's, what's going forward. Um, oh, one thing we didn't do, uh, we usually like to give game balls, right. Uh, for the top performers of the game. Um, and, uh, we didn't do that for this week. So really quick, uh, I'll give my game ball, uh, first and, and then you can do yours. Um, cause, uh, I'm a, I'm a rude jackass and it's my show. So I'm gonna do it first. So. <laughs> So, by all means, by all means, this is, this is your, your gig. So you go first. Absolutely. Um, I'm just messing around, but, uh. So I think that, uh, you know, I can't say enough about him. There's two guys right now that I'm thinking would get it. I'll probably pick one. You'll probably pick the other. But Nick Bosa, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable comeback story, unbelievable season. So happy he's on this team, like just an absolute game changer on defense, made all the, the corner issues sort of kind of minimize and, and stature. And he's been a total game changer on defense, 13 sacks this year, leaseling a tackle for loss. And had a big sack at the end of the game there in overtime to pull the Bengals to a field goal. And subsequently, the next drive, the Niners went down, scored a touchdown to win the game. So huge player that comes up big in big moments. Nick Bosa gets the game ball for me. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, obviously, it, George Kittle, right? He's Offensive Player of the Week, uh, NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I almost feel like that's cheating, right? Because it's like, obviously, like, they don't win that game without George Kittle. But one thing that I wanted to highlight, and I'll, I'll, I will give my game ball to George Kittle because, like I said, they're not winning that game without him on the field. Uh, but one thing that I wanted to highlight, Aziz Alshair, because oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Kyle Posey uh, of Niners Nation tweeted this out uh, on the 13th, 
And uh, he said when Aziz was on the field, right, uh, which was 40 plays before he went out with his elbow injury, when Aziz was on the field, the 49ers defense allowed 4.6 yards per play. And once he left with just over two minutes to play in the third quarter, the defense allowed eight yards per play on the following 25 plays. And so I just wanted to highlight that because, again, I think sometimes you can you can overlook some some performances and 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 some of them get overshadowed by by, you know, Nick Bosa, you know, sacking his his old college roommate um, and and buddy twice. But uh, but yeah, I think Aziz had a, a heck of a game and and has had a heck of a season. And, and I think it's important to to highlight that. But ultimately, like I said, the game ball is going to go to George Kittle because without him on the field, uh, the 49ers are not winning that game 10 times out of 10. Yeah. And again, I'll share yours. One of those guys, but Greg Greenlaw had a big step up year. Uh, before you know this injury riddle season and as we know fred warner all pro fred and D'Amico ryan specifically has done such a good job with that group of linebackers and i'm not surprised at all because he was a good linebacker himself and now with him being the defensive coordinator i'm not again i'm not surprised that the linebacking group is one of the strengths of this team and going forward it's great that you can get this type of performance out of guys like al shair who is an undrafted free agent i mean that's fantastic it's good it's good for player development it's good for the cap it's it's really really great that you can do that it offers you that flexibility so again like he's gonna get paid and, and deservedly so but until then like he's he's an absolute bargain on the contract the way that he's played this year he's been the best the best 49ers linebacker this year and that's saying something because fred warner is part of that group as well so um i'm, I'm with you there now one thing i wanted to talk about really quick was the offensive line, specifically the right side of the offensive line. We'll get to Trent Williams in a second, who's who's been amazing and just a total godsend. Um, I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen the the uh, Silverback uh, uh, documentary? I haven't. I haven't watched the documentary yet. No, but I I, I do know it exists. And uh, did you see his outfit for the premiere? Oh, he awesome! Was looking just phenomenal. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Who was it? Um, Oh, Brad, uh, Brad Graham of, of the SF Niners uh, tweeted it out. And I was like, this does not look like a man who murders people on the football field for <laughs> a living. Uh, but yeah, he looked, uh, he looked from, I'm excited to watch it though, uh, because that's quite the story that he has. Yeah. Unbelievable comeback story, like returning from his cancer diagnosis and, and beating that and becoming an all pro again. And just everything he's done, he's a hall, he's a hall of famer. Right. And just kind of capping his career off as, as he's in, he's heading towards the end of it. Hopefully he'll be here for a long time, but towards the, the last chapter of his career here in, in the Bay Area, then capping this off with hopefully we, we can give him a Super Bowl or something, right? Because he, he deserves it. But the right side of the line, they've been really good in run blocking. They've been really bad in pass blocking. So yeah. Brunskill and Tom Compton are top half of the league. I believe Compton is even top 10. I think it's top 10 in run blocking grade uh, for, for run blocking. And they are bottom five in the league in, in pass blocking for eligible players. And repeatedly, you saw, again, Cincinnati, same from the same area in the second half, the fourth quarter, repeatedly, there were three separate instances on third down where Jimmy took sacks because literally by the time he got back to his, the, the, end, the, the back of his drop on his back foot, the defender was already in his base. And that is a huge problem because you drafted Aaron Banks this past draft. And he, ha- he has not been, I mean, he's played very sparingly. And you've got Jalen Moore as well, who you drafted as well, but you don't really expect him to start because he was a middle round pick. You don't really expect those guys to contribute right away. But 
that is going to be a problem going forward if they don't fix it. And you can't have, and I get, I get it because you see how Kittle is more involved in the pass game and all of a sudden that side of the line looks really bad. There's, that, there's a correlation there, right? Like that, that's the reason why. So, and the other reason why is they're just not very good in pass protection. So I think that obviously the replacement plans are there. They're, they're on the team, but I, I really, really hope that they can get something figured out with that, whether it's like chipping defensive ends. And the other thing is, Brian, like you see like the, the pressure, it's not even from defensive ends. It's from like the, like the three techs they're getting in there. Like, like the three tacks or even like a one tack, like those guys yeah. are getting in there and those guys are the ones that are actually, you know, pressuring the quarterback. And, and that's the sad part is like, you know, you can't even, you can't even chip that guy. You can't do anything. You can double them. But again, like that, you know, if there's a blitz or anything like that, there were, there were several times where guys came free because the Niners would double those inside guys. who were getting beat. A guy would come free, a safety or corner out of the slot would come free and hit Jimmy. So that's going to be a problem going forward. And they absolutely have to fix that. And I think that obviously next season they, they, they will. But for the playoff run for this season, I have they have to find some way to rectify that. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I I don't know what the answer is simply because, I mean, it it speaks volumes at least to me that Aaron Banks still can't see the field when uh, Brunskill and Compton are just absolutely getting uh, manhandled when it comes to their pass sets, and you know, it, it really I I feel like having Compton out there full time now really uh makes me miss mike mcglinchy which again says a lot because mcglinchy really struggled in in pass protection as well but it's it's just so interesting to me that you know brunskill when when they signed brunskill out of the aaf um they they signed him as their swing tackle and Mm -hmm. in 2019 he uh had i believe it was two starts uh, at left tackle uh when he uh subbed in for joe staley and and he was really good and he's actually a converted tight end. So it makes sense that tackle would be a better position for him. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird to me that they just thought, hey, we'll just throw this guy in at guard because, you know, at guard, that's a position where you just, I mean, look at, look at Brunskill and look at Lake and Tomlinson and just look how different they're built and how, how different they are as, as players. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I still can't figure out why Daniel Brunskill plays so well against Aaron Donald because I feel like Aaron Donald should absolutely uh, destroy Dan Brunskill in every rep that they have. And he doesn't, and I, I, I still haven't figured out why, but I don't know that there's an answer on the roster right now, which is a problem. Like you said, because ultimately the question becomes if, if the game script doesn't go the way that the 49ers want it, which is a heavy run game, right. And they have to either pass to come back or, or, or even just if the run game is getting shut down and they have to they have to rely on the the pass game Compton and and Brunskill aren't going to hold up in pass protection and and you could see i mean that that reared its head in uh in that Seattle loss right uh mm-hmm. if if the right side was better then Jimmy gets that throw off right if uh in the in the Super Bowl right mm-hmm. if 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 the right side is better Chris Jones is not is not batting passes down and so it it is going to be a problem and the and the question is how are they going to remedy that and is it going to be trying to get Aaron Banks in there which again we're talking about we're we're already we're already what 13 games in if Aaron Banks hasn't seen the field yet i'm hard pressed to think that he's going to see it anytime soon and that's a problem because that was your second round pick that was a pick that you know talk about 
missed opportunity when their pick came up before they traded back who was still on the board asante samuel jr right mm-hmm. and 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 we talked about how right now their secondary is being held together by scotch tape and toothpicks and so they traded back and they drafted aaron banks and he hasn't even sniffed the field uh if i'm not mistaken he has only been uh i i think he's only dressed a handful of games and i don't even think he's seen the field so yeah, it's a problem, but I mean, is there a solution? And and maybe they've maybe they've tried to move Jalen Moore inside. Maybe that is one of the the options, but we haven't seen that at all. We haven't heard anybody talk about it, so I don't know that they have. So, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball forty one times against Cincinnati, and that's uh, the first time this season that he's thrown that much, and they've won the game. And part of the pro- and part of the reason is because. They are not built to pass protect right now um, because Compton, like you said, elite at run blocking, absolutely elite, mm-hmm. right? And and so is Brunskill, but their pass protection is horrendous. Mm-hmm. And and I again, I don't know what the answer is, but somebody's going to need to figure it out. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be a big time issue, and it's and it's likely going to be one of the factors that that gets them bounced from from uh, the playoffs if they make it. Yeah. And I think that looking ahead to what's left and as we kind of like wrap up here, I think that what's going to happen in the next few weeks is going to be super important, obviously, to the playoffs and what happens in the 49ers future as well with regard to Jimmy and whether you want to keep him. There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation on whether they should keep him or dump him or whatever it is after the season. But I think that you were saying that they need to win three. I always said that they they needed to get to nine. Right. They needed to get to nine wins and they would be at least the seventh seed. Which means that you have to win right now. You have to win those games at home against the Texans and, and the Falcons this week. So really, like, you know, the other games won't really won't really matter that much. The Tennessee game, sure, that'd be nice to have. And then, you know, we're talking about LA to end the season. And and at that point, like it's you know, we'll see we'll see what they have to play for, right? Like maybe they've got a playoff spot locked up already. But I think that nine wins will get them there. And I don't want to say that a game is a gimme. The Texans game, they should get. You should get that game, and that means that you have to win one out of the next one out of three games that are that are remaining. And they've given themselves a shot, and that's really all you can do. And you know, we'll talk about who the playoff matchups are closer to that you know that time if they make it. But right now, they're trying to get there, and I think that they're they're knocking on the door. And we'll see we'll see now what this team is made of, right? Like they've been really inconsistent, and the playoffs are within reach now. And if they can make a push, if they can get this game, it's really, again, like you said, it is a must win. They have to win this game against Atlanta and we'll see if they get it because typically in the must win games, they've been, it's been a 50, 50 shot for them this year. They've, they've dropped a bunch. They've won a bunch. So I really, really think that uh, you'll, you'll learn a lot about the team and and how resilient they're this week. So I hope they win. I think that they'll win. I mean, I, I think that they'll win as well um, because like I said, they are, they are far more talented than the Atlanta Falcons are right now, uh, both on both sides of the ball. Uh, even though their secondary is as injured as it is, it, that is still a significantly better unit than what Atlanta is putting out there. So, yeah, I think they, I think they should win this game, and I think they will win this game. Uh, I just don't know that it's going to be uh, a nine-point margin like the spread uh, currently is. And so, um, yeah, it's it, it, you know, it's interesting. They've really only. They've really only defeated two two good teams, if you will, right? The the Rams and the mm-hmm. Bengals, and so they're facing a, a Falcons team that's six and seven, 
that they're that is fighting for playoffs, but arguably isn't a good team. Um, and then they go to Tennessee, who is a good team, and then Houston, who is not a good team, and then they end with LA. And so I know for me personally, my ideal scenario is they beat Atlanta, they beat uh they beat Tennessee, and they beat Houston, right? They get three wins because ultimately my ideal scenario is that in that LA game, they've already got either the sixth or seventh seed wrapped up. And so we could see a scenario like we did in Kansas City, uh, where they made the playoffs with Alex Smith, but that last game of the season, they brought Mahomes in and he just lit the place on fire. Right. And then Smith started in the playoffs. They got bounced from the playoffs. And then Mahomes uh, came in the next year and, and started. And so mm-hmm. you know what I would love to see, again, is by the time Week 17 rolls around, they've got a playoff spot locked up. And perhaps we can see Trey Lance start against the LA Rams. I would love that scenario because again, that's that's a win-win, right? I mean, Trey needs reps and the Niners need to make the playoffs. So I hope they do that. And from your lips to the football gods' ears, just put it out there, manifest <laughs> it. And let's uh, go. And, and I hope it's I hope it's done. Well, Brian, man, thanks for thanks so much for for joining me today. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I am at B Renick77. That's B-R-E-N-I-C-K 77. And then uh, my buddy Tim and I have uh, our own podcast. It's not not quite the No Huddle podcast, but it's called The Denim Dungeon. Uh, we have been on a little bit of a hiatus uh, just with life and jobs and things like that, but uh, we're trying to ramp that back up. And so uh, you can find that also in, in any of your uh, favorite podcast apps. All right, there you go. Well, man, let's see what happens this week. Really excited. And the Niners are hopefully headed towards the playoffs. Hopefully a win against Atlanta does them really well. It puts them up over 80% chance of making the playoffs. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, play the percentages if they do. So, anyways, for Brian Rennick, this is Zane Nackby with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. See ya.